You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. So there was a crisis at the local zoo. They had heavily advertised the arrival of a gorilla on the first day. Opening day comes, the gorilla was delayed. No gorilla, people wanted to see the gorilla. What's the zoo to do? So they find one of their employees who they think would be fit and they say, "Uh, we've got this gorilla suit, we want you uh, to wear it and pretend to be a gorilla today. So kind of uh, reluctantly he puts on the suit and says, okay, I'd like to keep my job. So he gets in this cage, people start showing up. He's doubtful at first, but people are believing him. He's He's doing a pretty good job and before you know it, he's getting into it, he's having fun. And he's swinging on the bars and he gets pretty carried away and at one point he swings over the glass wall into the lion's den. So he finds himself in in the lion's pit, face to face with with his enemy here. And he starts freaking out, because he's not really a gorilla. He starts banging on the glass saying, help me, help me, help me out of here, help. And he hears this furry little voice in his ear say, shut up or we'll both lose our jobs. (laughs) It was the lion, you get it? (laughs) I'm glad you guys laughed, I wasn't sure. I I heard that joke a couple weeks ago uh, from an English guy. And you know, English people just make everything like way funnier and better. And so I didn't know if it would fly here. Um, That guy was Sandy Miller, an an Anglican priest. um, And he used it to describe what it's like to be a Christian on the outside, to claim to be a Christian on the outside, to call yourself a Christian, um, but to know really on the inside that you're not. And that there's something wrong with you. That you don't live up to the standards of faith that you claim to believe in. So admittedly, I was able to um, easily identify with what he was talking about here. As a, a preacher, I think in, a, in my own unique way, I know what it's like to be a guy in a gorilla suit. I know what it's like to come up here and to proclaim uh, the good news and to tell you about these, these standards of life and faith that we, should, that we should live up to the, to the life of Jesus Christ and into the life of Jesus Christ. I know what it's like to, um, to claim to be a Christian and then to know deep down inside at times that I myself do not live up to those values. At times, though, I can feel like I'm doing a pretty good job. At times, I can get carried away. At times, when I'm up here, I can get real into it and I, I, I get carried away and I find myself, though, in this act, in this performance, taking it too far, ending up in a place where I didn't want to be, standing face to face with my greatest enemy, sin, and reminded of the fact that I am not the person that I am supposed to be. If you call yourself a Christian, then you probably understand what I'm talking about. If you call yourself a Christian, then you are a bearer of the good news. Whether you're a preacher or not, you are a bearer of the good news. Your life is an example to the world of who Christ is. And it's likely that if you've been doing this for any time at all, you've come to the realization that I have, that you are not who you know you're supposed to be. 
And this can be incredibly demoralizing. It can cause great fear. It can cause great doubt. So I step up here and I ask myself, who am I to preach these grand ideals? Who am I to tell you uh, to live a life free of sin when I continue in it? Who am I to preach to you that you can live a life full of, of joy and peace and hope when just yesterday morning I had a tough time getting out of bed? Who am I to share this message of good news with you? The reality is that I am no one and I am not worthy of your attention, but the gospel is. You see, the gospel, the good news, is more than just news. It's more than just information. It's more than just intellectual stimulation. The gospel, Paul says in Romans 1.16, is the power. It's not just information. It is power, and it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. That means the gospel is the power of God to bring you from darkness to light. The gospel is the power of God to bring you from death to life. The gospel is the power of God to bring you from slavery to freedom. It's the power of God to make you into something that you are not. It is power and it needs to be heard. So some of you might be asking, then why am I not changing? Why am I no different? And I'm here to tell you this morning that it's because what we know intellectually, we don't yet fully believe. My confession to you this morning is that um, until fairly recently, when I started spending a lot of time in this book, in, in the book of Romans, in this series, in this teaching, and really just, just uh, fleshing out the Romans 5 through 7 that I'm preaching today, it was until that I, I really heard God speaking to me in this. It had been months, I think, since I had really experienced the power of God and the power of the gospel in my life. I'll be honest when I say that the gospel had become boring to me. Can any of you relate to that? That this good news just doesn't do it for me. It just doesn't stimulate me the way that, that this book says it should. The way that these people in the past and the people in my life say that it should. It just isn't doing it for me, Jake, and I get it. And there's two things that I found out. One is that I had not been telling myself the full gospel for some time. The full gospel. I've been telling myself half of it, not the other half. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. And then two is that which I knew. That which I know very well. I did not yet fully believe. There is still more and more territory in my heart and in my soul for the stuff that I know to take over and for me to really believe. So we're going to start in Romans 5, and we're just going to read two verses for this sermon this morning. 
verses 1 and verses 2, because I think this is an incredible summation of the full gospel. And we'll start with verse 1, and Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, justification. Most of us know this, so I'm going to say it anyway. Justification means to be made right with God. It means that once we were enemies with God, now we are no longer enemies. We have peace with God. Our sins have been forgiven. It's that process, okay? That, that is justification. We are declared righteous before God. But I'm going to read this again, and I'm going to put an emphasis on a couple words, okay? Listen to me. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's Paul saying here? Saying that we are justified. We have justification. Our sins are forgiven. Just like you can't be half pregnant, you can't be half justified. You can't be, can be kind of justified. If you were here last week, we used the, uh, John Wesley's image of uh, we're walking into God's house, the house of God. The porch is repentance, right? Repentance, the door is a door of faith, and then you're in the house of God, all right? If we use that image of walking through the door of faith, entering into the house of God, it becomes clear that you're either in the house or you're not. You have faith or you don't. And if you do, you are in the house of God. You are justified. So this friendship with God is yours. It is in your possession. And just like any good parent, God does not want you to doubt that you are his child, that you are in his house, that he has adopted you. Now, I've tried this with Mika. I keep telling her if she keeps disobeying me, she's my 15-month-old daughter, that I'm going to give her up for adoption. And she just doesn't seem to believe me. Uh, kidding. No, obviously, of course, I would never, ever, ever want my daughter to doubt that she is welcome in my home, that she is my daughter. And because she is my daughter, she will always receive the benefit of me as her father. Unless she, she so chooses just not to take advantage of it. It's the same way with God. He does not want us to doubt that we have been justified. And yet in one way or another, many, if not most of us, we do doubt. We do doubt this reality. In the Romans class that I taught this last week, I had uh, people in the classroom rate their uh, certainty of salvation from zero to 100%. How certain are you that you've been saved? And it was kind of an interesting result. Somewhere between like each class probably averaged in like the mid to high 90s. Which means there's a lot of people who are 100% certain, um, and there was a lot who weren't, and, and both are okay. And what I'm telling you, though, is what I found out is that even those who are intellectually 100% certain 
still we don't believe it fully in our hearts. And I know this, why? Because it manifests itself. This doubt in our own justification manifests itself in works righteousness. All right, as we go about our life of faith and we, we do things well, all right, and we feel like we're doing things for God or we're doing things right and we're a fairly good person or whatever, we tend at times to get puffed up, to start to feel self-righteous. Even those of us who are certain that we are in the house of God, that we've been justified by faith and faith alone, not by works. We go on through this Christian life and we feel self-righteous. What is that? That means that what we know with full certainty has not yet fully invaded and taken over our heart and our beliefs. See, only someone who doubts the love of their parent feels the need to earn it. And as long as we continue on doubting whether or not we have been justified, whether or not our sins have been forgiven, not by our own effort, we will continue trying to earn that justification. The reality is that justification is just one important, but just one part of the gospel. It is just the beginning. And there is so much more and so much better life to be lived beyond simply being forgiven. Let's read verse two. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul is saying here, see the word also? Through him, we also, he's saying there's more. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This is the house of God that we're talking about. This is the Christian life, a life with friendship with God, where we have this new access to God's grace. And, and grace is not just forgiveness, okay? Too often we, we think those words are synonymous. Grace is God's active presence and power in your life. That's much more than just forgiveness of sins. That means that his power to overcome sin is yours. That's no small thing. You see, when Paul says here that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, that's kind of a, um, a weird sentence. What is he saying? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Well, the glory of God, okay, is all that makes God awesome. And the second part of the gospel is the fact that all that makes God awesome, he is going to bestow on us. His glory, his image, he will share with us. So when we look forward towards the future, when we imagine that last day when our life is over, the end times, we're on the other side of things, what is it that you, that you imagine? Do you imagine your sins being forgiven? No, 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 that's already happened. What's gonna happen on that day is you will be free from sin completely. You will be free from sin completely. God will clothe you in his glory, in his character, 
in his honor. See, the problem is that too often the gospel that you've heard is the gospel of forgiveness, period. That's it. And that's the gospel that I've told myself sometimes too often. Is that, is that I'm looking forward to a day when my sins will simply be forgiven. But the reality, look, if that's the case, if that is a goal of, of salvation, if that's the end all be all, then I'm out. I don't want anything to do with it. Because if forgiveness is the end goal of salvation, and if it's achieved through faith, and if I have faith, what does that mean? It means that God's work is done in me. It's finished. Does that make sense? And if that's the case, even worse, is that the gospel is not a gospel of power. The gospel is not a gospel that has the power to change anything. It's just to accept things the way that they are and forgive it and just wait till the end, ride it out till we die and walk into heaven the way that we are. And the reality is that's not heaven, man. It's not. I don't want anything to do with that gospel. That's a gospel that says, I'm a guy in a gorilla suit and everyone knows it, that I'm just a guy and I'm fake and it doesn't really matter anyway. I still get to keep my job. It's just, it's lame. It's lame. We're called to so much more and God wants to give us so much more and he will, he will, he will. Paul wants you to be so certain of this. I mean, yeah, he wants you to be certain that your, your sins are forgiven, but he wants you to be so certain of this. He goes through great lengths to make it very clear here in chapter five that this actually is the case. And one of his favorite arguments of mine we read earlier, he, he basically uses this logic. He says, if while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and if while we were enemies with God, he reconciled us to himself, now that we are reconciled, now that we are friends, now that we are children, how much more then will Christ's life save us? Will the resurrection of Christ, will the love of God, the friendship of God bring about within us full salvation? So the question that we all need to ask ourselves this morning is, do you desire to be free from punishment? Or do you desire to be free from sin? Do you desire to be free from the penalty of sin in, in spite of continuing in sin? Is that your goal? Is that what you think? What you're hoping will happen? This just like free entrance into heaven? Or, or do you really desire to be free from sin completely and clothed in the glory of God? I was reading this book a while back by St. Catherine of Siena. who's a saint from, I don't know, like the 13th century or something. And um, in her little talk with God that she was having, she heard God tell her that um, it's those and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing this, but 
God tells her that it's those who uh, fear the punishment from sin more than fearing um, their life continuing in sin. It's those people who will not receive salvation. Does it make sense? He's, he's, saying, he's looking towards that end day, and it, it's those people who are more broken about the fact that they're going to spend eternity in hell than the fact that they broke God's heart. It's those people who will not be saved. But those who will be saved are those who look towards this full picture of salvation and who desire it earnestly and who seek it. So as we live into this, what we're going to find is that it's incredibly difficult, is it not? Right? We, put, we, we set our hope on this future. And if we really want this, this isn't something we just wait for. This is something we start now. All right? This is something that, that we live into because what we hope for is what we live into. But any of us who've done this, we know that it's hard and it's difficult and it's not easy. We know what it's like to be standing right in front of our enemy realizing that I am not all that I'm called to be. And it's demoralizing and it's scary and it, it instills doubt in us. And here this morning, I'm just wanting to tell you that sanctification, this process of being made and remade and sculpted into the image of God, being clothed in his glory. It is a process. Justification happens immediately. Sanctification is a process. It is a process. And the Christian life is that of putting on Christ. The Christian life is that of living in Christ, even though sometimes it's overwhelmingly clear that you're not yet like him. That's the Christian life. It's a life of constantly preaching this full gospel to yourself. Day in and day out. Reminding yourself, thanking God with gratitude. God, thank you that I am forgiven. Again and again and again, using, making the best use of that forgiveness, of that reconciliation with God, stepping into his grace. And asking God to help you change. In fact, at times, it's demanding God to help you change. It's an incredible thing we can do. Through, uh, I love the book of Hebrews because this image is all throughout the book. Where just this image of, of us with, with confidence and boldness stepping near to the throne of grace in God's presence. Where we just claim what is rightfully ours. That's the Christian life. And we'll have days and we'll have moments where we fall and we fall backwards and we forget this and we sin and it seems like we left God, but he never left us. And it's just, it's just repeatedly preaching this gospel to ourselves, placing our hope and expectation in our certain future and our salvation. I heard a story this past week uh, these two economics professors who, they're walking down the sidewalk at their university and, and they're having a chat and there's a $20 bill on the ground. And one guy, as they're talking, just walks right past the $20 bill. And the other one stops and he says, hey, man, why didn't you pick this up? 
And he says, <clears throat> well, obviously it's fake or else someone would have picked it up already. And I feel like in a way, the Christian life is like a life full of, of $20 bills just all over the side. It's just this gold mine of, of opportunity and of, of power. It's just right all around us. And, and so often we just walk right on by assuming that what, what we're told is real is not. What appears to be real is not. In a life of faith is that which says, man, this looks like an opportunity. This looks like I'm told that, that God's grace and his power are available to me. I'm just, I'm just going to use it. I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to live into it. And maybe it would help if we saw others whose lives were changing because of it. Maybe it would help if we saw some progress in our own lives. And I'm just here to say, keep your eyes open. You will. Our daily text, uh, the guy who writes it, his name is J.D. Walt, and he puts it this way. He says, it's time to cash the check. The biggest problem we have with our understanding of faith is thinking we need God to do something before we can do something. It's true, but we misunderstand the fundamental fact that God has already done it. He has written the check. He will not write it again. It now lies to us to cash it. We keep asking God to write the check. The New Testament is a singular cry of Jesus Christ to cash it. Cash the check. Pick up the bill. The new day is on. The new creation is upon us. The gate is open. The way is made. As the band comes up, I want to invite you into this life. God invites you into this life where you're no longer a slave to sin, where you're no longer defined by your sin, where you're no longer held down and held back by your sin. He invites you to come and claim that which is rightfully yours. Come and claim your inheritance. Let go of your guilt. Let go of your shame. Believe that the blood of Jesus Christ has covered your sin once and for all. Rejoice that you are declared righteous right here, right now, today. Place your faith for the first time or for the 1,000th time in the God who promises to make you whole, who promises to make you perfect, who promises to complete his work in you. This is the life of faith. You are clean and you are free. So be clean and exercise your freedom making full use of this new access to God's grace in which you stand. There's one call to you this morning, and it's simply this, to repent and believe in the gospel. Amen.